Everyone, two Pauls, Mal, America, and the Metaverse. Welcome back for our, uh, really, which is our first show officially. Last week's was a, a bit of a trial run. We started off doing something which we weren't meant to be doing, Paul, which is following you gallivanting around Europe like you are at the moment. Yeah, I'm here for the Web Summit, the first live summit in two years, and we had to have, it's uh, day, end of day two now. We had have 30,000 people last night. We're all super vaxxed and super tested and super masked up and super secure. So they're doing a very good job on keeping everybody safe and secure. And I'm a, I'm a total convert to get the hell out of your city, go traveling, get on a plane. You're safe if you're vaccinated. I, have, I got my booster. For God's sakes, get out and enjoy life. Good man. Good man. So 30,000 people at a web summit can't, don't, uh, you know, I can only assume that they, they have there might have been 30,000 people there, but only one, one Bond villain amongst all of it, one singular, one singular source of ire, which I assume was our friends at Facebook or, Met, or Met, sorry, our friends at Meta, as they should be, as we refer to them today. Yeah. You know, like the uh, Milken conference I was at a couple of weeks ago in Los Angeles, and Milken, I think, wants to sort of uh, take over the, the, the mantle of the World Economic Forum. It's a very high-powered, high-profile conference. And much like the Web Summit, they both have been absolutely remarkable for their focus on ESG. I'm telling you, man, the ESG is really, really big and important. Last night, two of the three keynote speakers were Black Lives Matter and our whistleblower from, from Facebook, right? And, and, and we didn't even get any technology last night. We got the most important, the biggest uh, social movement in American history, allegedly, according to Time Magazine, with Black Lives Matter. And then we had our face, our Facebook whistleblower who was given you know, 50 minutes to trash Facebook at a technology conference where it's based on sponsorship by technology companies. And so this is a big, big deal to see what's happening. And so much of the Milken Conference was also all about ESG. Basically, the message is get your, get your society in order. You can't make money if your cities are burning down. You can't make money if there's a rebellion. You can't make money if your 20-somethings have given up on work because they're so disgusted. you got to get with the program and think about humanity over profit for the first time in, I think, 30 years. Yeah. I'll talk a little bit later on about COP and my views there, but can you look at Facebook not through the lens of the pariahs that it is becoming globally? Because I think that, that's been played out enough. Can you talk about something like you know a lot about is they called the renamed the company Meta for a reason, right? So they've gone all in on AR and VR and the like. Can you talk a little bit about what they're like, how they're likely to go, how this land grab is going to play out? And frankly, I think that the, the key question to all of this, I, I'm under the impression that this is destined to fail. Can you talk a little bit about sort of Facebook in terms of trying to dominate AR and VR. Yeah, I know. That's a, I, I tend to share your view, Paul. We had a very long, we had a very good Yeoman's effort today from Nick Clegg, who phoned in <laughs> the West Coast. And of course, like David Cameron with Green Cell, Nick Clegg, Nick Clegg has been brought in to, you know, smear some ointment of credibility onto Facebook. And, and he, he, he acquitted himself okay on this exactly this issue of, of where is Facebook going? What's its role in this new world of the metaverse? I, I, I think I'm very uncompelled. And, and 
I think there's a certain profound arrogance where he said, he might've slipped up. He said, look, at, Facebook is not going to build it. We're going to help construct the platform. If we're not going to be building it, it's, well, thank God you're not going to be building it. And by the way, I don't think you guys know how. Google is probably a lot further ahead. And so is Apple and many other companies. And so, yeah, I, I just found a lot of the, the narrative uncompelling about just how much they're going to be involved. And actually, I, I, I'm uncompelled about this thing called Facebook Finance, FF. And I just am uncompelled. And I think what happened with Facebook is Facebook was so, it's one of those things like Baidu. Baidu was so up its own behind in terms of search engines that it never did anything else. And it fell apart. And Tencent ate its lunch. And I think it's awfully late for Facebook to be getting involved in Facebook finance, never mind the metaverse. I mean, these other companies are five and 10 years ahead. So, mate, so talk about talk about Facebook finance. Talk about, and again, knowing you as I do, and your focus on on DeFi and the like, that I, I'm going to make an assumption that you're you'd be skeptical about any large company being able to be successful in the DeFi world. I'm sure you're skeptical about the likes of JP Morgan, let alone Facebook. Tell us what you know a little bit about about what Facebook is doing on the on the financial side of things. And is this is this is this the new re, the sort of the rebrand of Libra? And the, and the I, I think I think that's right. I was talking to a uh, I just was in line last night getting into the main arena and I was talking to somebody who used, who used to work at Novi and Novi, if you don't know if, for the audience, that was a that was the name in between um, Libra and, and Diem. <laughs> so it actually had three names. And, and she was like, look, when all of this was absorbed into you know Facebook finance, the guy who was running Novi resigned. Because he just thought this is never going to work. And so you, you had people walking out the door at Novi when it became Diem because there just wasn't any confidence that this thing, as it was absorbed into Facebook, was going to succeed. I just finished a book on all this. It's called Money Metaverse. It's coming out next week. I'll be talking to you a lot about it, Paul, in the next coming weeks. But I think the one company that, that, that's a massive company that's done an astoundingly successful job as a very large company on a hungry, relentless effort to keep on changing and adapting and growing is Visa. Visa is my favorite company in the world on all of this. They just have this capacity for change. MasterCard is probably six, six months to a year behind. MasterCard's probably a little bit further ahead in Europe. JP Morgan has done a pretty decent effort of all of the banks to, to do its deal with quorum and consensus. And, and getting involved with some really sharp people in the right areas at the right time with the right technology. And then I'm sort of like, I'm running out, I've got extra fingers left over about who else can do this right. I just think Facebook has is, is, is been living off of the 90% of its revenue from advertising for so long, it's very difficult to wean yourself away from that. Right. And Paul, for me, it's just absolutely, absolutely bewildering, right, that, that you can have a company like Facebook. But really, I, I, I throw the entire US sort of mega cap tech sort of universe in the one bucket. They couldn't develop a payment system. Yeah. And in, my, in the last couple of books I've, I've done, starting even in 2018, 19, we looked at that. This book, AI and Quantum Computing in, in Finance and Insurance, I wrote. It was a very, very extensive 500 page comparison between the US companies and the Chinese companies. 
I would boil it down back then. I remember very clearly talking to a lot of these American, the big American companies. They were afraid of the regulator. They were afraid of, of the regulator and they were afraid of getting into uh, financial services and the boards of directors it, were like, we are not interested in any liability. <laughs> Don't forget, between 2009 and 2014, the banks paid $360 billion in fines. And the tech companies, are you, are you kidding me? You're going to go to a board of directors meeting and say, hey, let's get involved in financial services. <laughs> In like 2014, 2015, they're going to say, no way, Jose, not until this boils over, not until the political climate shuts down, because there were attorneys general, U.S. attorneys, district attorneys that were just going for the jugular of all of the banks for years and years and years looking for a payout. And the payout totaled $360 billion. And so I think the regulatory issues in, inside the United States scared the hell out of all of these tech companies. That's why they only got into um, financial services, really, I would say, in 2017, 2018. Right, but, 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 Paul, I mean, that's, that's all well and good, right? But again, it didn't stop, you know, it didn't stop Square. It didn't stop PayPal, right? It didn't stop the, the, the climbers of the world, these, these sort of companies which have done unbelievable innovation around the place, right? And look, I mean, we still haven't seen a, correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't had a major tech company acquisition be derailed by CFIUS or the Department of Justice for sort of monopolistic positions, right? Everyone everyone wishes that they could go back and unwind the WhatsApp acquisition of, of Instagram and, and uh, sorry, the, the Facebook acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp, et cetera. But at the end of the day, this hasn't happened. So, I mean, put it this way, if Square can do what Square has done, if PayPal can do what PayPal has done, why not Amazon? Why not, why not Facebook? You know, particularly, why not Google? They tried with the wallet and it failed. You are exactly right. That's where I was going to go. I, I think that I asked uh, Alibaba that, and I said, why do you think the American companies have not succeeded in this whole episode about wallets and financial services? And, 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 and the Alibaba guy in Beijing and their Beijing research centers told me, he said, you would not believe how many things that we tried and failed at, and yet we, keep on, we, we kept on trying. All these other big American tech companies, they did try financial services. They just failed at it. And after the first failure, they stopped. That also is very true and very valid what you said, but I think that the regulatory, the massive regulatory headwind also prevented them from getting involved in a lot of this as well. So, so these are all very legitimate points. Got it. And I hear Doug Leon was there talking from Sequoia, one of the co-founders of Sequoia was there. What, what did he have to say and what's the outlook for Silicon Valley VC? He was very bullish. He believes there are many, many opportunities for companies that are going to be worth 10 to $50 billion. Show me a company that's going to change the way we live, and I will invest in it. And he says, there are so many out there. There's so many opportunities. He was fairly unrelentingly bullish on the prospects for the future. He was accompanied by a couple of other of the top uh, private equity people who were also fairly optimistic. And you know, one of them from one of the other big ones, was said, look, it, it could end tomorrow. It could end in December. We don't know. I don't think so. I think there's a lot of momentum going into 2022. That's exactly what I heard from the top private equity people who were speaking 
at the Milken Conference as well. Tremendous momentum, hundreds of billions of dollars of unleveraged money still to be uh, put to work. And that's really $3 trillion sitting sitting in cash deposits globally, just waiting to do something. Is that the base case? Yeah, Leone's point is we got money from a lot of big institutions. You know, they, they, they've guaranteed us the money. It was something very important, he said, we have given ourselves the, the right and the, the obligation in many cases to have 20-year money. And so we have very large institutions around the country, pension funds, insurance funds, retirement funds, who are giving us money for 5, 10, 15 years, and they want us to invest it. And that money needs to be deployed. You know, it's our obligation to deploy the money. So that, that's what I'm talking about, about money that's been, you know, captured and not yet deployed by Sequoia. A Got lot it. of firepower. And, and the, one, the last thing you mentioned to me before was the absence of China bashing. That's quite nice. I know. I, I, I was so struck. Yeah, you walk into the main, the main area of the arena and the first thing you see is, I swear, like a 20 foot by 20 foot like cube of uh, Huawei advertising. <laughs> and all day long today, there, I sat in front of like 20 different presentations, zero, including the like vice president of the uh, regulatory structure for the European Union, who was this very sharp lady from, I believe, Hungary. And she was with a congresswoman from the United States and, and zero. She, the, the lady who's the vice president of the European Commission said, look, at China, is, we, we cooperate on areas. We compete on other areas. There's a lot of us. There's a lot of work to do with China. We don't share that. We don't share the sort of the view that China is some enemy out there. It, it, it just that that narrative in Europe is absent, Paul. It's it's mm-hmm. absent. So, but the one I take, well. Yes, 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 and no. Because if you if you don't mind, I'll talk a little bit about sort of my side of the fence, which is my interest this week and going forward, which is COP. The Chinese mightn't be getting a hard time in Lisbon, but they're getting crushed in Glasgow. Um, and <laughs> no, I know, I, you know, sorry. I mean, I look at this. I look at this, Paul, to, to say you've got you've got the majority of the world's leadership there. And look, I get why Xi Jinping didn't go because there was an embarrassing situation with with Jiang Zemin. Back in, I think when at, at the COP before last, I think it was, and you know, I get why I get why I get why uh, he's not there, right? I get why Xi Jinping's mm-hmm. not there. But for for Xi Jinping to come out in the days before COP and cap coal prices ahead of uh, to make sure there's enough energy for a cold northern hemisphere winter, just creates a stench that the Chinese don't give a shit. And if you look at COP now with what can only be described as, I was going to use the word disingenuous, I'll call it disgraceful, call it whatever whatever slew of four-letter words I was thinking about, which is India's 2070 carbon neutrality target, which, by the way, when by in 2070, you and I are probably dead and my son is, and my son is 63 years of age, right? So that's the the context of this. But for China to come out and announce coal caps in coal prices, which you know is basically designed to increase coal supply to make sure that the energy needs of China are met during the winter, just just has a look, we we know that Xi Jinping doesn't care less about global opinion, right? We know that. Right. And we know that Xi Jinping is the ultimate populist politician because the Communist Party can do whatever the heck it likes 
but it, it it makes life a lot easier when the people are on site. And that, you know, making sure you have cheap energy prices, regardless of how it's produced, you know, is a very populist way of thinking about things. But, you know, for me, COP has the chance to be a tremendous disappointment or is heading towards a tremendous disappointment because you can't have global a global collaboration on climate unless China is there. Right. And well, no, no. Hold, hold your horses, Paul. Wait a minute. I mean, I just watched an interview with John Kerry and uh, Christine Amanpour a couple of hours ago, and she gave him that exact same harangue that you just gave me. And, and he's like, look, look, settle down, slow down. Xi Jinping's top negotiator on the climate, who I have been dealing with, I, John Kerry, have been dealing with for 20 years. We're very good friends. I know him very well, is dealing in and and all good faith in this conference in Glasgow, number one. Number two, Mm -hmm. something that I learned recently, and one of the reasons why gas prices are so high is because China is switching out coal to gas faster, Paul, than any country in the world. China has switched out coal to gas, the equivalent of the UK, right? That's how big the change is between coal and gas in, in, in China. And in fact, you know, something that struck me that about the inflationary impulses we're seeing, I, I, I think the climate change, that the panic over your son not living on a water boat in 30 years, never mind in 15 years, is causing a, a massive shift in coal away from coal toward gas, and and is causing this spike in, in natural gas prices, which feeds into oil. And as a marginal, massive marginal player in this, China is really influencing gas prices. So I, I, I reject your premise that China is just a bunch of just sort of uh, wasting its time and not. A no, I never said that. I pulled that. Let me be clear. I never, I never said that. But they're certainly, they're, they're certainly not playing a global game. They're playing a local. They're playing a local game. Um, Nobody, and- no country in the world is spending more money on changing their their output of energy. No country in the world is spending more money than China. China is seen as a global, that's what the message was today, the best technology on, on the environment in the world is in China. Undeniably so, but they, look, they produce a third of the world's carbon. Between China and India, it's a third of the world's carbon, right? So, Correct. And we can talk about measures such as GDP per you know, carbon output per capita, which countries like Australia have a have huge a huge role to play and have been and have been probably no. the ultimate disappointment in all of this is is my <laughs> homeland. Look, the Chi- the Chinese look again. The way we we deal with this issue is globally, right, and through global cooperation. Mm-hmm. Now, China is go- China is going it alone. And, and look, for example, Xi Jinping made the the speech about three weeks ago saying that they will no longer fund international coal coal fire plants. Right, that's great, but they're still funding them domestically. Right, and again. If China is going to be hasn't hasn't uh, well, no country's given a, a timetable for ending coal because coal, regardless of the fact that there's more yoga yoga instructors in the United States than coal miners, great stat by the way. It is as Joe Manchin is showing a remarkably politically sensitive area. When and when, yeah. when and when China employs, well, sorry, with the coal industry in China employs the population of Norway, it still has clout and it still has influence. So again, it's it's my 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 disappointment is more that to tackle these truly global problems, you need global cooperation, and, you're, and, and also you're certainly not forget, seeing that. One of the things that's also happening in China, which again I just discovered by poking around and trying to figure out the logistical supply chain problems, China's having a drought. 
And Yunnan province, right next to Guangdong, is a major exporter of energy to China. And Yunnan, most of Yunnan province's energy comes from hydropower. And so that's another huge problem and probably why China's capped coal prices is because Guangdong, which is a huge sucking sound for energy prices, is no longer importing energy from Yunnan province. And so and, this is problematic, right? And, and so you had yeah. to up... By the way, there's your next book, right, to talk about water, about water usage in Asia and, and obviously what's, what's going on with you know, what's going on in the Himalayas and obviously that flows down all through southeast asia and the like no look i mean these are look again i i think these problems as many people do think they're incredibly urgent and and i do think you need to have global cooperation and i think it's for the chinese i think it's a lost opportunity frankly right because the chinese had a chance to show global leadership and really all that global leadership it would have got them so many so many brownie points globally if xi jinping just had it turned up Right. And he had to just for him to, to you know to do it via a, a written just a written speech that was effectively going to be sent in. It's an opportunity lost. And again, we need more cooperation, not less. And look, as I think we're both aware, the only place I thought the Chinese and the US can cooperate at the moment is really on climate. And I think it's an area which the ball's been the ball's been dropped. Well, I think, again, if you take John Kerry at his word, and we probably should, he said, look, we have been as active as I have been as active as ever with his lieutenant who you know reports directly to him and can make major decisions on what needs to be done. And we've had a very fruitful you know, discussion. China was here. China was here in Glasgow. That's exactly John Kerry's words. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. we need a, you know, does Xi Jinping not come because he's got the 20 day, 21 day quarantine thing? I don't. I don't have any idea. So somehow, I don't think he has to do. He's not doing. Uh, he's not doing quarantine at the Holiday Inn in Beijing, but I don't think he's. I think he's exempt. Is my is you're, my best guess. Right. <laughs> you're probably correct in that one. What are you up to next week? What's uh, what are we What are we talking about next week? Okay, well, I'm going to finish off the rest of the week in Lisbon and and, and put some together some more thoughts, and then my book is out next week, and so we'll be uh, talking about the book. It's going to be. It's actually wrapping up right now and is ready to go on Kindle. Is so it, it'll be ready to go. Perfect. So is this where I pretend I'm Char- a non a non gropey Charlie Rose and give you a uh, and give, do the full book review? Yes, you cannot grope me, but you can do a full book review on uh, for, for the whole thing. Yes, and I'll I'll even feed you questions. You don't have, you don't have to read it. Perfect, mate. Great. Let's do. Looking forward to doing this again next week. Okay, right. my friend. Yeah, love you much, and have a good time in Chicago. And I'm uh, back to Barcelona on Friday. Enjoy, my friend. Bye.